This is Health Yeah, your weekly update on what's going on in the health, wellness, and medical world with Monica Robbins. It's something that millions of Americans struggle with, their weight. And now there are medications out there promising to help you drop the pounds fast. But is it too good to be true? Today we tackle everything to do with weight loss medications, from which ones work best, to which one of your providers can give them to you, to whether your insurance will even cover them, and how you can pay for them out of pocket for less if your insurance won't pick up the tab. Plus, we take a look at why these drugs are so controversial, and the diabetics who need these medications, and whether those reports of shortages are real. We have your best prescription for life when it comes to dealing with medicated weight loss straight ahead. Hi, and welcome to Prescription for Life. I'm your host, Monica Robbins, and this is the health and wellness show where we try to answer all your questions about the everyday problems we all deal with, like today's hot topic, medicated weight loss. What exactly is medicated weight loss? Well, it's just like it sounds. It's when you take a pill or an injection to help you lose weight, and it's something that millions of people are trying. Take a look at these statistics. More than 40 percent of American adults have obesity. About 30% are overweight. When you look at kids, 20% have obesity. That's nearly 15 million children. One in eight preschoolers have obesity. With numbers like that, it's no wonder pharmaceutical companies are coming up with more weight loss medications. And you've probably seen the advertisements. It seems everyone has joined this weight loss craze. And for good reason. They work. That's the good news. The bad news, they're very expensive. We're going to unpack all of this with an expert from Cleveland Clinic who is going to talk to us about the different drug options, how to pay for it all, and maybe most importantly, the stigma around obesity and why it's so important to talk to people who have obesity, not obese people. After all, we say people who have cancer, not cancerous people. And obesity is a disease, but it's a disease that can be treated. We'll get all into all that in just a moment. But first, here's a look at one woman's story from bariatric surgery to weight loss medication Wigovi from reporter Meg Ferris at our New Orleans station, WWL. Ramsey Hare says she was always the overweight child then the heavy girl in high school, college, and nursing school. By her 20s, her weight surged to 380 pounds. But at 30, a birthday trip to the beach changed everything. And I came back and I looked at the pictures and I was devastated. I had no idea that I looked like that. She could no longer deal with the emotional pain. Traveling on an airplane, having to ask for a seatbelt extender, and you know, just little things like that, that emotionally was traumatizing. So 10 years ago, she turned to the surgical specialist of Louisiana for bariatric surgery called the sleeve. With her post-surgical stomach smaller, which also puts those dysregulated hunger hormones more in balance, Ramsey got down to the 150s in 15 months. I've not ever been hungry since surgery. That's so liberating. It was amazing. The weight stayed off for a decade. 
At 40, she became a newlywed and wanted to become a mom. But a year and a half of fertility treatments, injections of hormones, along with steroids, reversed a lot of the gains she had made in maintaining her weight loss. In the first probably six months, I was up already 40 pounds. And I was terrified. None of my clothes fit. My scrubs didn't fit for work. Brought back so many painful you know, depression memories and just the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And you're gonna hear it click initially mm -hmm. for the needle puncture. But all those painful emotions went away fast. A wonder drug is new to the market. And so I was like, sign me up. With the FDA approval of Wegovi. It's simple, it's painless, and it was a miracle. In three weeks, I lost 18 pounds, and by three months, I had lost 38 pounds. Um, and so by six months, I had lost almost all of it. I was up to 47 pounds. Oh! Oh! oh. For several years, Ozempic has been on the market to treat type 2 diabetes. It improves the way the body handles excesses of the hormone insulin. A side effect was that patients lost 15% of their body weight. So last year, it was reformulated and approved for weight loss for patients who are not diabetics under the name Wegovi. But this drug is not a stimulant. Um, it simply makes you feel full. And we know that it affects your brain. Um, it, it, uh, it mimics a hormone that affects the satiety centers in your brain. Bariatric surgeon Dr. Matthew French of Surgical Specialists of Louisiana says about 20 of the clinic's patients have used Wegovi. And they say that they just don't get hungry. Uh, they don't want the food. They don't have the cravings. And uh, that's a powerful tool for losing weight. And I wasn't hungry, which was great. The best thing about this drug is it made alcohol taste horrible. Um, any more weight loss? But after six months, Ramsey's no longer on Wegovi. Her cost-saving coupon ran out. Most Louisiana insurance companies don't pay for weight loss medication like hers. Despite the long-term cost savings when people maintain ideal weight, companies don't include it in their coverage. The other problem is the drug is in high demand and it can be difficult to get. And so if, if insurance would cover it, you'd have a lot more patients on it? Definitely. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't take the place of surgery. Surgery's still about twice as effective as this medication for weight loss. Uh, but compared to diet and exercise alone, it's a no-brainer, complete game changer. Wegovi is for people very overweight or obese. LSU health exercise and obesity expert, Dr. Melinda Southern, says too much insulin in the blood causes fat storage in the belly. So people who don't have a metabolic health problem and those who don't qualify for this drug can get the same effect on controlling their insulin metabolism the old fashioned way. One is eating a Mediterranean diet. The reason why insulin is secreted is because you've injected either sugar or some kind of starchy carb that triggers it. So it's not just calories in and calories out, it's the quality of your diet. The other, of course, is exercise. Interestingly, exercise, especially a combination of strength training and moderate aerobic exercise, will do the same thing, but it does it through the muscle action. It helps the muscles use the insulin more effectively. Melissa, can we talk about the... Ramsey does not exercise, but knows that while Wegovi helped her through the hardest part, she'll have to exercise to maintain her weight without the injections. And yes, she knows that includes cutting the sugary carbs. Okay, if I can get through Mardi Gras, you know, I only had one piece of king cake. <laughs> only one. 
And I didn't even eat the whole thing. For Weight Loss Wednesday, I'm Meg Farris. We wanted to dig into this all a little more, and for that we turned to a weight loss specialist at Cleveland Clinic. We'll get to more details on the weight loss drugs in just a moment, but first, we take a look at what causes obesity and why there is such a stigma. I'd like to welcome Dr. Scott Butch, the Director of Obesity Medicine at the Bariatric and Metabolic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, thank you for inviting me. We're talking about obesity, we're gonna be talking about diets, we're gonna be talking about weight loss drugs, pretty much the gamut of everything. So I know one of the things that you wanted to address is the stigma of obesity. What do you want people to know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that's been existing in many different sectors outside the medical community even. It's in the workplace, education. Uh, but in the medical community, stigma really affects the care of patients. People who have obesity have inappropriate care because of the stigma that exists from providers, from insurance companies, et cetera. So they really don't get the treatment that they deserve. So what is this people first language relating to obesity? Yeah, if we think about it, we want to, we talk about diseases and, and not to have the person described by their disease. We don't talk about the autistic child, we say the child with autism. Uh, so for obesity, people have largely been using terms like obese to describe a person. And we want people to understand that it's important to use person-first language. So the patient with obesity, the person with obesity, these kind of things. So we've talked about for years all the health ramifications that come with you know, being mm -hmm. overweight, being obese. And typically, you know, along those lines, what you're talking right. about in the medical community, you go to your doctor, you say, I need to lose weight. And the doctor looks at you and says, eat less, exercise more. Yeah. That's not the answer for everyone. So when you get that answer, what, right. what, are, what is the conversation you need to have with your doctor? Yeah, I mean, just to put it in context, think about if, if someone says, eat less, move more. I mean, it's like telling somebody with depression just to cheer up and then leaving the room. We don't do that for other diseases. Yet we still have this idea that obesity is a behavioral problem, not a disease itself. So if you're obviously, if someone says that to you, a provider, I think you have to find a different provider. Because that provider who has that kind of understanding of obesity is probably not up to date on our current understanding of obesity. And therefore, I think we'll probably deliver inappropriate care. You know, there's so many levels <clears throat> of obesity as well. There's, you know, the, and, and the, let me ask you this real quick, the right. BMI. Right. Is that, should that just go out the window by this point? I mean, that's a larger conversation. There are um, several, I mean, National Science Academy of Science is working on this very topic of what BMI is, how we should address it, because it's used in many different sectors, uh, you know, whether it's policy, whether it's medical community, schools, and obviously it doesn't speak to the individual, the BMI itself. It's a ratio of height and weight and, and gives us an estimation of body fat, which is important from the clinical perspective. But when, it, when we start to deal with the individual, that BMI may be one of many different factors in which we sort of try to describe and understand their disease status. When you're talking about being overweight and being obese and then being morbidly obese, right. obviously we know that there is medical intervention available. Mm -hmm. 
when does someone qualify for medical intervention? Sure, and I think the language, as you were just stating, you know, that obese and morbidly obese is the language we're trying to change in saying that these are patients with obesity or with severe obesity. Morbid is actually a description of gross or grosser than gross, and we shouldn't obviously describe people with uh, being as gross, being gross. So, but when we think about severe obesity, to your point, and, and where we decide whether a medical treatment is worthwhile, we use things like the BMI. We use what, you know, there's over 200 comorbidities or different conditions that are related to obesity. So we use those as gauging someone's um, disease status, health status. And then we think about medical treatments for people who have mild, moderate uh, forms of obesity. So we, you know, we sort of generally work within that group. So who prescribes the treatment? Is this something I'm going right. to get from my primary care physician or do I need to see a specialist? Right. I mean, it, it, it may, when we think about medical treatment, it's not just drugs. It's, you know, it's behavioral treatment. It's, it's nutrition interventions. It's um, physical activity interventions, uh, behavioral interventions, as well as medications. Anti-obesity medications is how we describe them. So it's usually a combination of those things that we end up you know, under the umbrella of medical treatment. And so in terms of people delivering this care, it's a multidisciplinary team. And you know, everybody has their role in the treatment of obesity in, the, in that individual. So it's still something, if your primary care physician is your only treatment provider, right. um, you know, where do you where do you seek the, the dietitian or the nutritionist or right. those sorts of things? I mean, I, I, you know, this is complex because we have a, a, a medical community that's not educated in obesity. In fact, we know that uh, students, uh, medical students, don't actually, and, and medical residents don't actually get the education and training that they need to manage patients with obesity. So when you get up to primary care physicians who are overwhelmed with you know, a number of things that they have to do at once, don't have you know, a lot of time. You know, some people are comfortable at the primary care level to deliver that care, can give recommendations, can refer to a dietitian who is a very knowledgeable person in, in nutrition, can refer to a psychologist if there's an eating behavior that needs to be addressed. There's where you see sort of the, the team working. And it should be, like every other disease, it should be at the primary care level and where a specialist like myself would see more complex cases of the disease. And it works in every other disease, but it doesn't work in obesity because of the stigma that exists. I'm glad you're bringing up behavioral uh, symptoms and also you know, seeing a, a, a therapist for right. some of these things. Because I, I would think that you know, the folks who are severely obese. That have severe obesity. Severe, se <clears throat> thank you, severe yep. obesity. Yep. They didn't just get that way from sitting on the couch and, right. and eating. There is a, often it's from something from childhood or a trauma that they dealt with because it just you know for some for someone to be 800 pounds mm. that seems almost impossible to to fathom. Yeah, I think I would put it this way: um, we have to think about obesity. You think about it like cancer. We we understand that there's different types of cancer: lung cancer, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and we treat that specific type of cancer differently from one another. 
obesity, there's many different subtypes of obesity. So what we see is that there's different aspects and different types of obesity, and we have to recognize that in the clinical setting diagnose it, and then give appropriate treatment, which is sometimes difficult. But I think what we typically have done is think that there's got to be some behavioral problem. And I think to your, to your, your question and your example with you know, things that we see on TV, 800, 1,000 pounds, that shows you the complexity of, and that's probably a certain subtype. You know, I could get put on steroids and develop obesity, not because of my diet or my physical activity or my sleep patterns, but because of a drug. And drugs, you know, probably account for five to 15% of obesity uh, themselves. So it, 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 it gears towards the complexity and then treating the individual with obesity, which, and it goes back yeah. to the stigma. Of course. Food did not necessarily cause right. all of this. Let's move on to yeah. the hot topic that everybody wants to know about, um, these weight loss drugs that sure. everybody's talking about, Wagovi <clears throat> and Ozempic. Wagovi, FDA approved for weight loss. Mm -hmm. Ozempic, not quite yet. But we're seeing all over social media, we're seeing celebrities taking these right. drugs. These drugs are not cheap. Right. and not necessarily covered by insurance. What do people need to know? Yeah, complex uh, scenario that we have. But right now, this was maybe a year and a half ago, in the summer of 21, a new medication came out, and you said it, semaglutide 2.4, which is called Wagovi. It actually is the same drug as Ozempic, same exact drug, just a higher dose. But five years earlier, Ozempic had been FDA approved for diabetes and has existed and probably helped many people with their weight unknowingly. Um, but Wagovi was approved um, for, for obesity. And actually, these drugs have been around for 15 years. It's, they're not new, but they see this once a week delivery seems to be very, very effective in treating obesity with probably about a 50 to 75% increase of its eff effectiveness than some of the other drugs that I've used you know, over the last decade and a half. Everyone wants access to these sure. who you know, maybe has 10, 20, 30 pounds to lose. Are they the people who should be seeking these medications out? And you know, when you go to your physician, is this just something, hey, prescribe me this? Typically, to your point of if someone who needs to lose a little bit of about a, a little bit amount of weight, we don't have a lot of data to suggest where that you know what that outcome is. Obviously, it's only approved. These medications are only approved in people who are overweight or, or have with a comorbidity or have obesity, which is a BMI of 30. But that's a complex question that you know speaks to the complexity of the situation. And they're incredibly expensive, though. Yeah, I mean, that speaks to our healthcare system, really, and, and the fact that insurers uh, just don't get it. They're sort of stuck in the past of thinking that obesity is a behavioral problem. And you can think about it with stigma, as we, we brought up in the very beginning, if you have people in positions of power, whether it's legislators, whether it's insurance, uh, you know, medical directors, whether it's principals of uh, school systems, whether it's your physician or provider. If they have stigma, then you're going to see why these things happen. So these drug companies want to get their money back. They're clearly overpriced. We know that. But the fact that insurance companies don't cover the treatment of obesity isn't largely the problem. And that, you know, that speaks to the the bias that exists. So when you look at these <clears throat> these medications, though, you know, I, 
they're meant for diabetics in the beginning, and now you know Wagovi is approved for weight right. loss, but now everybody wants them, and we keep hearing stories of shortages. Sure, um, is that actually really happening, and and what is the solution for that? You have this increased awareness. You have patients who are excited and hear this in the news. And so they go to their doctor wanting to use this medication. People don't want to have surgery because they're concerned about that, even though it's the most effective treatment out there. And so they, they have this uh, increased wanting to do medical treatments. So you have this ability of a confluence, a perfect storm, if you may, that has come together with increased awareness, increased demand. There are actually shortages in the beginning in terms of the production of the drugs. And then providers, if you can't get this drug, I'm gonna to go to the lower, I'm gonna to go to the Ozempic, I'm gonna to go to the lower dose because I know it works and I can't get the higher dose, so I'm just gonna use this. So providers that wanna treat their patients and then just finding a way to treat them. But is it just like, you know, taking uh, an injectable once a week and you start seeing that you're losing weight? If you don't change lifestyle habits, mm. that's not necessarily part of, you know, getting right. these medications. What happens when you stop using them? Yeah, and so that's what we're going to come up with. You know, these companies have been smart in allowing patients to get on the medications through a coupon program and that's been six months or 12 months with a newer medication. And so people are on these medications through the coupon program, sort of, you know, despite the insurance company not covering it, but they're gonna have a strong realization that once that coupon is not available at a low price of 25 bucks, 100 bucks, that they can't afford 1,000. So they're gonna have to come off a medication. And if you think about obesity as a disease, the drug itself should be used long-term. We don't think about, you know, blood pressure medications to be short-term medications or, you know, or, or cholesterol medications. Same thing with obesity medications. We would use them for the long-term. If they're, you know, if affecting that dysfunctional pathway that I described earlier and correcting it, well, people are gonna experience, off the drug, they're gonna probably experience weight gain. And so right now, understanding that that's gonna happen, I've already engaged my patients to tell them that we're gonna have to think about another plan B. And that's okay, because we're gonna do what we've done for the last 20 years, is try to figure out what drug with what person and move on. Because 1,500 bucks a month is a little difficult yeah, for- we're not all people. Hollywood stars. Exactly. Yeah. You brought up surgery, and that, of course, is your specialty. So um, <clears throat> bariatric surgery has changed mm -hmm. quite dramatically in the last 20, 25 years yeah. since I've been covering it. Um, Talk to me about what those changes are, and now there are so many other options. We know for severe, severe forms of obesity, so a BMI over 35 or even over 40, uh, treatment around a surgical intervention, bariatric surgery, which we now call metabolic and bariatric surgery, um, is actually one of the best and most effective therapies. You know, it's just hard for people to conceptualize, wow, I need surgery for this behavioral problem. And so it's hard to get people to understand, both from a provider standpoint and patients, to move into a surgical treatment option. But you know, given someone's quality of life or disease process, can be a very effective, uh, a very effective treatment. That said, there are other options out there. There's endoscopic devices that are placed in the stomach. There's balloons. 
There's, um, there's uh, you know, these little tablets that you take that expand in your stomach. A company has done that. Uh, there's um, things that are put endoscopically in the intestines and block you know, the passage of food through the certain parts of the intestine. So it, it speaks to our, as we've understood obesity, as that science has evolved, we see treatment you know, devices and therapies fit that current knowledge. For example, when we thought ob obesity was a behavioral problem, it made sense for them to work on their behaviors. And if they didn't change their behaviors, they were a bad person and they had to keep on doing it. You know? And then we thought about eating less and moving more as if diet and exercise are the only things that are needed to help someone uh, lose and maintain their weight. As we've understood the, 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 uh, the gut and the brain and the fat cells and all the communication around uh, how our body regulates our body fat, we've, we've, we've come up with therapies. So these drugs, the surgery, devices, etc. You have given us so mm. much incredible information. We're going to have to have you back <laughs> because we sure. want to talk a lot more about a lot of more, more issues relating to the fad diets that are out there. So we're going to get to that right. on the next episode. But Dr. Bush, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the invitation. It's my pleasure. You heard Dr. Butch talk about surgical options for weight loss. It's something two best friends know all too well. They're both bariatric surgery patients, and they started a podcast to share their journey. Reporter Brittany Falkers from our Portland station, KGW, has their story. We love you guys. Mel Gottfried and Kelly Wilson are best friends. Welcome back, LSLP family! And podcast hosts. Um, you are listening to our Sleeve Life podcast, and this is Kelly. This is Mel. We both had a gastric sleeve surgery. I'm seven years post-op, and she is three years post-op. But we've been friends for like 23 years. It's crazy. Our Sleeved Life is a podcast knocking down the stigma of weight loss surgery and they're sharing their own journeys to help others. The reason why I went through my surgery was because my father passed from liver cancer and he was at 59 years old. And I was like, I can't do this. I have a kid, I have a husband. I need to be there for them and myself. Kelly was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune disorders as a young adult, stopping her in her tracks. I couldn't move. I was in constant pain. I couldn't walk or stand for more than 10 minutes at a time. So I was basically bedridden. Um, through being bedridden, I gained a lot of weight. Both of their lives have changed for the better, but it hasn't been easy. Mel was the first to undergo surgery, and then Kelly a few years later. While Kelly had a friend to lean on, seven years ago, Mel went through it alone. And so I didn't have anybody. I didn't have social media to lean on. So in 2020, she enlisted her best friend to create the community and support she never had. Oh, yeah. Like That's... the consistency of, you know, protein, water, activity. Like, I have obesity, I have food addiction problems. I didn't know until I put myself out there, and now I can fix all the things, and I feel great. Problems with diabetes, high cholesterol. They rely on the expertise of dietitians, doctors, surgeons, life coaches, and other people going through their own weight loss journey. 
and they're breaking through the stigma surrounding weight loss surgery. Because people think we're dying over here. People think we're just regaining. People think it's the easy way out. It's just a staple. Like no one, if you're not in this community, you don't really realize like how hard these people work. And it's a full mindset change. It's an open, honest conversation between two best friends. I'm actually able to live my life, which that's the surgery. The surgery gave me my life back. And I think that's a lot of the times that people don't understand is that they call it the easy way out. But it's not easy, but it saves lives. Our thanks to Brittany Falkers in Portland and our thanks to you. We are so happy you joined us this week for this episode of Prescription for Life. We'll see you right back here next week with more conversations to help your health. I'm Monica Robbins. Stay healthy and I'll see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into Health Yeah. Please find me on Twitter and Instagram at Monica Robbins. Like and follow my Facebook page, Monica Robbins WKYC. Find video podcasts at Monica Robbins channel on YouTube. And please subscribe. Wishing you great health and hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to Health Yeah with Monica Robbins from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.